Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Ina Corio, and Philippe de Lamatrac. And we are fan fiction authors. And I know a lot of you listening to this know that already because there's been so many people listening lately. I know I finished uh, season nine quite a while ago. And while I was recording those nine seasons with, with small hiatuses, I had like an estimated audience or average audience of maybe three people. Not that only three people listen, but regularly, you know. But lately it has jumped up. And I used to be able to keep up with it just on the homepage of what we used to be Anchor. It's now called Spotify uh, Podcasters. And on the analytics page, it has this little um, line graph of how many people have listened to your podcast. And it used to jump up one, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, but now it's doing like 47 in a day, 37. And I'm just, I'm wowed by it. And I so appreciate it. So thank you for listening. And yes, I am back, which means I have another story. I have done something. I have it done for a while now. I finished a story <laughs> and not a short story. I finished one of my whips. Whip is work in progress. I had four whips and a whip series. And they were all in different fandoms. So I had a, um, let's see, I had, well, the one I finished, Finding Home, which is in Star Trek Enterprise. I have Momentous, which is in Final Fantasy XV. I have The Path Not Taken, which is... Well, I guess that's Captain America movies, really. Mar Marvel Cinematic Universe, a, an AU of, you know, what if Bucky didn't walk away at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier. And I have Perchance to Dream, which is still on the back burner, but it's still out there, uh, which is a DC's Legends of Tomorrow story. And then I have the Bucky Barnes series, Pieces to a Puzzle, and possibly... Um, Making of the Winter Soldier, which I read all of those in order at the end of the last season. I have yet to write anything, any short stories after A Tale of Two, A Tale of Two Cats, and other stories. So, I don't consider that series done. It's just harder sometimes to find the right part of um, to to start and end a short story. Sometimes it can actually be easier to write or come up with the ideas for the novel-length stories or the novellas. But a short story, you've got to find out where are you going to take of the events you've imagined in his life. Where are you going to slice in and say, we're going to look at this part and this is how it starts and, and this is where it ends and this is what the middle looks like. That can actually be really hard, which is one of the way, reasons I say that Short stories are harder than long stories, and long stories are harder than short stories because you have to fill the whole darn long story, which can sometimes in the middle be kind of a chore. <laughs> so they each have their reasons for being harder than the other, but they both can be beautiful, moving stories. And if I sound a little verklempt right now, it's because after finishing Finding Home, um, the next in the rotation is Momentous. And in order to get back into Momentous, I'm reading Momentous to myself. And I've just read the first 16 chapters. And the 15th and 16th made me cry quite a bit. <laughs> so, hey, if it makes me cry, that's a good sign. That maybe I did something right. Um... So, uh, and oh, and half of those whips were Philippe and half were Gabrielle Lawson. So interesting. But when it came time to write Finding Home again, I knew I was close to the end. So I was thought I was just going to go ahead and write the end of it. So one day I sat down and I wrote the end from the end. There's 15 chapters that were posted online. And then I just wrote from there to the end. But I didn't feel like I wrote well. 
I felt like it was very surfacey. I wasn't getting down into the characters. I was doing, I was telling, I wasn't showing. And so I decided to, you know, because it had been quite a while since I'd been in the story. I decided to read the whole story. And so I went back and I read the first 15 chapters. And then as I typed up what I'd written in my composition book, because I compose by hand generally, I edited it quite a bit, rewrote, even changed a character at one point. Something I thought was going to be Trevon's idea, um, which you don't know who Trevon is yet. He's my, Malcolm's therapist. But it turned out to be Hoshi's idea in the end when I wrote it. So I even changed that. But anyway, um, I wrote chapter 16 and posted it one night. I wrote chapter 17 and the epilogue yesterday and posted it. It's done. And so I can start chap uh, season 10 of There Are Three of Me. So are you ready to hear a Star Trek Enterprise story? The sequel to Alien Us. It's called Finding Home. And I'll start it here in just a little bit. The story I'm about to read is a sequel to Alien Us, which is a Star Trek Enterprise story where I created my pen name, Philippe de la Matraque. So if you haven't listened to or read Alien Us online, you want to, might want to stop this episode, go back and find season six, episodes one through 30. It's the whole season because it is 30 chapters and that will be Alien Us. And you can listen to that story and you'll know all the backstory then for this story that I'm about to read. I started thinking of this sequel right after I finished Alien Us in 2014, but it took me a while to find the beginning. And actually, I did finally find it in uh, 2020. So now it's taken me three years to write the sequel, where it took me 10 years to write the original. But here, anyway, here we are. And let me tell you that the historian's note says it is set somewhere immediately after the events of Alien Us. All right, we're ready. Star Trek Enterprise, Finding Home. Prologue, six months in the past. Why me? The young woman asked the camera. I'm sure many people have asked that over the centuries, but why? I'm young, I'm healthy, or I thought I was. She looked away as she fought back tears. I had headaches. That's all I thought they were. Lots of people got them when they worked in the wasteland the Zindi left. Only now, all construction there has stopped. Because I'm not the only one. She rubbed her hands over her eyes. I just can't talk to a computer, so I'm going to talk to you, Malcolm. She dried her eyes and started again. I was doing well, you know, in my career. I finally got to take the lead on a new housing block in the reclamation area. Everyone wanted to put the Zindi attack behind us, after an appropriate memorial, of course. It was going to be grand, but tasteful, of course. I thought the headaches and the dizziness were just from long days at the drawing table. It was only when Sarah Farmer, my boss, called me in to talk about my designs that I began to doubt. I hadn't seen them, but there were egregious mistakes. Important supports were missing, no passages between floors, doors that led nowhere. It would have collapsed had we built it. She knew this wasn't like my previous work. She suggested I see a doctor. She took a moment and sighed. It has something to do with the reclamation area, the Zindi weapon. There's something still there in the soil or maybe in the air. Apparently, it causes a new kind of brain tumor. That set her crying again. She paused the recording. After she composed herself, she started it again. It's not cancer as we know it. It's more insidious than that. No other illnesses have been found, just these tumors in hundreds of people who were just trying to make that area beautiful again. They don't want us to despair, but so far, none of the usual cancer treatments are working. 
They're going back to basics, they said. Ten volunteers took radiation treatments. Then others took chemotherapy from the 21st century. In both groups, the tumors grew faster. A third of the patients died. So it's a little hard to not despair. Sarah said she'd build my building correctly somewhere else. Make sure I got credit as the lead architect. I hope I can live long enough to see it. And to see you, brother of mine, I miss you. Maybe I'll try and give you a ring. Chapter One Malcolm Reed just thought he'd gotten caught up in the sight and nearness of Hoshi. He had loved her for a year without seeing her at all. She had been a voice in his head. The idea that they'd ever see each other again, ever hold hands, was beyond them then. Yet here she was, resting her head on his shoulder as they t looked out at the stars streaking by. He'd never felt love on this scale before. The streaks began to blur. Was that love? He looked at the empty dishes on the table. They were blurry, too. Maybe the lightheadedness he felt wasn't love. There was a tightness building in his chest. The monitor on the back of the wheelchair began to beep and he couldn't feel the ache in his left wrist. Malcolm? Her voice in his mind was clear and alarmed. I want to live, he thought back to her. The chair moved backward, but he couldn't hold himself up. He began to fall forward. Strong hands held him. He heard fuzzy sounds behind him. Then everything went black. Hoshi watched in horror as the medic laid Malcolm on the floor and began chest compressions. Was it the waffles? Was it leaving sick bay? Had they just killed him for a date? Her legs wouldn't hold her anymore. She crumpled to the ground beside Malcolm's legs, too afraid to get in the way of the medic. Sobs rushed out of her. She couldn't lose him now. Dr. Fox came and Malcolm was put on an anti-grav gurney. Then he was gone. She couldn't follow. She couldn't get her legs to lift her from the floor. She couldn't move, couldn't think beyond that one thought. She couldn't lose him now, not now. Then the captain was kneeling in front of her. He lifted her up and got her moving. His strong arms held her up, kept her from melting into the deck the whole way back to sickbay. By the time they reached it, Malcolm was resting back on the bed he'd left little more than an hour before. His eyes were closed, but his chest rose and fell regularly. Tripp was standing by the bed. Phlox approached them. He's stable for now. He looked her over. Are you hurt, Hoshi? The sobs had left, but the tears had not. She shook her head. She wanted to be beside him. The captain must have understood because he led her to the chair beside Malcolm's bed. He left her there, then pulled Tripp away to give her space. Tripp met Phlox and the captain at the other side of the room. What happened? Phlox was very direct. He had a cardiac infarction. A heart attack? Tripp relaxed a bit. Heart attacks were treatable. Heart disease was curable now. Malcolm could get through this. Phlox wasn't finished. Lieutenant Reed's heart isn't going to get better. It has endured an incredible amount of stress and abuse. It just can't work as efficiently as he needs it to. I think the best course of action for him is a transplant. That hit Trip like an anvil to the chest. Malcolm had survived. Beyond all expectations, he had survived. It seemed wrong somehow that his own body would kill him now. What can we do? How can we help here? Trip asked. We could try to construct an artificial heart, Phlox said, or we can send him back to Earth for a real heart, and maybe more than that. What do you mean? the captain asked. Nerves, for one, Phlox replied. With the right donor or donors, he might regain full motion of his hands and ankles. His bones could be strengthened. His sternum has been cut or cracked repeatedly. When he was brought in, it was cracked and compressing his chest cavity. And that still doesn't touch the sheer trauma of it all. He can't fully recover here. Tripp wanted to sit down himself. He looked over at Hoshi and Malcolm. Malcolm's arm moved. She took his hand. He was awake. Ah, 
said Flox. We needn't rush into anything just yet. I can keep him stable here for now. He left them and returned to his patient. Tripp watched from where he was with the captain. Lieutenant, Flox said to Malcolm, I need to understand your wishes should life support become necessary. Tripp couldn't hear Malcolm's reply, but he was glad Flox had asked. He didn't want a decision like that left up to Malcolm's parents again. Even if it means tubes and machines, Flox asked to clarify. It's official then. If it comes to that, Lieutenant, I can induce a coma so you won't be aware. The captain moved forward and cleared his throat. I'm glad that's settled. Malcolm, Hoshi, I need to ask you about Moody. The Makos would like to hold a memorial service. He deserves a commendation, Hoshi replied, still holding Malcolm's hand. We wouldn't have survived the crash if he hadn't done what he did. We blew up the shuttle and his body so they wouldn't have them to study. The captain nodded. Could the two of you work up a brief report so I can apply for that commendation? Malcolm and Hoshi both nodded. But a comm signal sounded and T'Pol's voice interrupted any further discussion of the Mako. Captain, priority communication from Starfleet Command. The captain handed Hoshi a pad. On my way. I'll take it in my ready room. I think I'll meet T'Pol in the science lab, Tripp said, and he joined Captain Archer as they left sickbay. Can he do that with anyone else? Archer asked him as they entered the turbo lift. Nope. Tripp shook his head. Has he tried? Tripp gave a light smile and nodded. It's easier than talking. Archer considered that briefly. I guess it would be. Can you ask DePaul to meet me in the lab? Trith asked him. I want to see if we can come up with any way to help Malcolm here on the ship. Archer nodded. Tripp got off and headed to the lab while Archer continued to the bridge. Archer sat down, then activated the console to reveal the admiral who had called. Captain Archer, good to see you. I'm sending you coordinates. How fast can Enterprise reach them? Archer clicked over to the coordinates and let the computer give him an estimate. Four weeks at maximum warp. What's there, Admiral? An important first contact mission, we hope. Potential allies if we're lucky. Powerful adversaries if we're not careful. This is a top secret mission. Keep it quiet for now, but get there as soon as you can. One more thing. Seems your tactical officer made a stir with Starfleet R&D. They'd like him to personally come and present his work on the stable force field he put together a few years back. We can send a ship to intercept and ferry him back to Earth. Archer sighed. He may need to go back to Earth, but he's in no condition to present anything to R&D. He and Insensato were recently in a rather unique shuttle crash. He's in critical condition. Dr. Phlox believes he needs a heart transplant. I'm sorry to hear that. I'll let Starfleet Medical know to expect him. What about your chief engineer? Does he understand the tech well enough to brief R&D in the lieutenant's stead? I'm sure he does, Archer replied. He was glad Malcolm would be well taken care of. I hope Ensign Sato fared better. Her skills will be vital on this mission, John. Archer sighed again. In short, that shuttle crashed a year before it left this ship. It's complicated, but that year was extremely traumatic for both of them. She's recovering physically, but some time on Earth with her family would be invaluable for her. I wish we had the luxury, the Admiral replied. And I'll personally make sure she gets that time once the mission is complete. If only all our communications officers had her genius, I wouldn't insist. I don't know of anyone else who can learn an alien language in the span of a few hours. Archer did not relish telling Hoshi that she would be separated from Malcolm again. Malcolm wouldn't like it either. I'll send the intercept coordinates once I've found a ship, one with expert medical personnel on board to collect Lieutenant Reed and Commander Tucker. Once R&D is done with the commander, we'll get him back to you. Have your doctor confer with medical on what the lieutenant needs. Godspeed, Captain. The line went dark. Archer felt this was the best outcome for Malcolm, except that he'd had Hoshi literally in his head with him for nearly a year. Would his telepathy, it was still very odd to think of Malcolm that way, reach past the light years between them? Or would he be lost in that silence? Would she? Hoshi had tried to commit suicide when she thought he had, had died. What would she do when she could no longer hear his voice inside her head? For Hoshi, this was perhaps the worst outcome. No Malcolm, no parents, no family beyond her shipmates. Would it be enough to help her heal, or would they lose her in the end?
It had all happened so fast. Hoshi was dizzied and so confused about how she felt. Their first date, together, finally, a big bowl of ice cream. Then his heart attack sent her reeling with thoughts of his death, again, and how she couldn't bear it. Not now that they had been rescued from Sharu, that he had survived past all expectations. Then relief that he was alive, fear that it wouldn't last, despair that they'd be separated again, and that she couldn't go with him, couldn't see her parents. Fear for him dealing with his parents. They had broken his heart so many times before. She didn't want a mission, not even for new languages. She wanted to be with him, or absent him, to rest, to talk to flocks, to process what had happened so she could be healthier when they would be reunited again. She deserved that. She obeyed her duty on Sharu, never letting them know she could understand, so they would assume she was only as intelligent as their females, so they wouldn't ask her the questions they asked him after drugging him into submission. She held his hand in hers as they moved him to the Vulcan ship, stood nearby as they got him set up on life support there. He looked peaceful, sedated as he was. He didn't even know, not yet, that he was going and she was staying. She worried about that. It wouldn't be good to just spring that on him. Wake him up, she told the Vulcan doctor. Just for a bit. I need to say goodbye. He needs to say goodbye, to understand what is happening. The Vulcan simply raised an eyebrow and watched her for a moment. Sound reasoning, he finally replied, for an emotional species. He adjusted the amount of sedative, and the tension returned to Malcolm's face. Malcolm's thoughts came in a slow drip rather than a rushing torrent. He tried to turn those slow-moving thoughts to Hoshi, to the image of her face or the sound of her voice. But the fear and the memories kept invading. He couldn't open his eyes without a lot of effort, but he vaguely felt the tubes, heard the beeps of the machines keeping him alive, and that got him lost and confused. Was he safe on Enterprise or back in Jiren? He didn't want to know. He was afraid of the question. Enterprise, her voice, the answer, not Jiren. Where that voice had been in his head when it came again, it was in his ear, and worth the effort to open his eyes. But Malcolm, you're leaving Enterprise. You're going home to Earth to heal, to get a new heart. He felt her hand in his. She touched his face. There were tears in her eyes. You're coming? She sniffed and stifled a sob. I can't come with you, she said aloud. I have to stay. The eyes tried to close, but he forced them open. I don't want to go without you. I love you. I love you too, she thought back to him. Get better, Malcolm. Talk to someone. You can't heal this alone, not this time. There was someone else. A Vulcan he didn't know. The man stopped beside Hoshi. We will be embarking in five minutes, Ensign. Hoshi squeezed his hand and bent down to kiss his forehead. Goodbye, Malcolm, she said openly. Get well and come back to me. Then her hand was gone and she was walking away. He watched her, willing his eyes to stay open until he couldn't see her anymore. Maybe they'd get lucky. Maybe he was telepath enough to reach her from Earth. The Vulcan spoke to him. I am Dr. Verrett. You will be under my care for the duration of the voyage. We shall reach Earth in approximately twenty days by Earth's calendar. Oh, you're awake, Trip. Malcolm turned his eyes to the door and found him. Be brief, Verrett said. He walked away and Trip took his place. Malcolm wanted to speak, wanted to ask him why Hoshi had to stay, but he couldn't form the words. Then he realized the tube wasn't in his neck this time. His fear returned. Everything's going to get better from here on out, Malcolm, Tripp told him. Malcolm hoped that was true, but without Hoshi, he wasn't sure. The gravity in his eyelids won out this time and they closed. He tried to open them again, but they refused. Tripp's voice was muffled and slow. We'll be home before you know it. Tripp. Tripp was here. Hoshi was not. Then all was black oblivion. Well, there we are, prologue and chapter one. They are shorter chapters than um, Alien Us, but that's okay. <laughs> chapters should be as long as they need to be. 
And this one sets up this story. Hoshi has to stay behind. They've got some secret mission. Malcolm has to go to Earth. Because Malcolm can't present his um, stable force field. Trip is going so he can do that. So he has Trip with him, but he doesn't have Hoshi. In the stable force field, if you don't remember, I'm not going to look up what the title was of the particular episode, but there was an episode where they had this crystalline entity they brought on board on accident, actually kind of slipped on board, and it took over one of the cargo bays, and then it trapped people within that crystalline entity, like a web. And when they were caught in the web, they could hear each other's thoughts. In order to keep more people from being caught, because if the people went in there to try and rescue those who were trapped in the web, the tendrils would try to reach out and t capture them as well. So Malcolm pulled up a force field that Starfleet R&D had been working on, but they couldn't get it stable. And this is basically a has four nodes and it's projected between those four nodes like a square. So it, those nodes are at the corners and he adjusts it and these things, he kind of experiments, uh, experiments, experiments with it, firing a phaser at it until they get something they feel is stable enough. And meanwhile, Hoshi is working on trying to communicate with the thing. So they can put the force field over the door and then she can try to communicate with the thing, but the thing can't trap her in the web. And while the people are trapped in the web it's also killing them so kind of important and um, they needed that force field to save everyone else and they needed Hoshi to be able to communicate with a thing to let go of the people so that was not I don't believe in season three so it's probably in season two or four I am not sure which um, I don't think it was in season one but it could have been it's been a while since I watched Enterprise. Um, but that's what, where this force field comes from. And the idea of Starfleet wanting to talk to Malcolm about it, they tried to stabilize it for years. He did it in about a half an hour. <laughs> so kind of got some maybe some, uh, some feathers ruffled back at R&D, but... Instead of like being upset by their like, let's bring him in. Tell us how he did that. So, Hoshi, um, Trip is going to do that in Malcolm's stead. Um, and that does, you know, come into play in the rest of the story. That's why I just explained it right there. The journal entry at the beginning, if you hadn't caught on, is Malcolm's sister. Malcolm does have a sister canonically. Um, in the episode, this was in first season, when um, Malcolm's birthday is coming and Captain wants to get him to have Chef make us his favorite food, but they don't know his favorite food. Hoshi talks to his sister, his spinster aunts, uncles, and even his uh, roommate from the academy. Archer talks to his parents. These are the only times we canonically see Malcolm's family. And I draw a lot from what we saw in that episode of those brief moments with his parents and his sister. His parents were dour, for sure. A little bit stuck up, maybe. They didn't know what his post was. He hadn't spoken to them for two years. No, they did not know his favorite food. Um, they, his father was clearly miffed that uh, Malcolm was in Starfleet, not the Navy, because Reed men have been Navy men. And um, he's like, maybe the ocean was too small for him, you know. Um, so clearly had an attitude. Now, you can take that, whereas they just have a, a strange relationship. It's not really terrible or, you know, anything like that. Or you can do what I did <laughs> and look at it much darkly, but darker. Um, whereas Madeline, his sister, she was nothing like her parents. She was open and bright and she wanted to, you know, she was excited for Malcolm's birthday. She wanted to talk to him, but it was a surprise. So she couldn't. And it was just, 
so different. But no, she didn't know his favorite food either. Which is weird. We also know from the episode with the Romulan mine that goes through Malcolm's leg and he gets some pain meds and then he tells Captain Archer why he's not in the Navy. And it's because he's aquaphobic. That comes up. Which, if you read or listened to Alien Us, you know that they dunked him in a tub and held him under till he drowned, and he had an extremely traumatic reaction to that. Um, so, and I did cover it in Alien Us as well, but I will cover it again. There is a book, um, one of the professional Star Trek Enterprise books that you can buy. It's called Last Full Measure. And it's written by Malcolm A, or excuse me, Michael A. Martin and Andrew Mangles. And on pages 146 to 155, really? Nope, not 155. 154, sorry. Is a story that these authors use to set up Malcolm's aquaphobia. And I loved it. So I have used it in Alien Us, and it will come up again more than once in Finding Home. It is referenced in footnotes, which I probably won't read out, so I'm just going to say that here now. It is Last Full Measure by Michael A. Martin and Andy Mangles, that's M-A-G-E-L-S, and it's page 146 through 154. It covers the event that happened and his retaliation of it and at one uh, two years later. So, yeah, this was in this part of the book that I have reread over and over again. I do want to talk about Spotify for Podcast. Anchor was bought out or taken over. Maybe it was already owned by Spotify, but it was taken over by Spotify. And so Anchor.fm is not Anchor.fm anymore. The app is not called Anchor. It automatically changed to Spotify Podcasts or Podcasters or something like that. So what has changed? I have on this podcast talked about how you how I use Anchor. Um, I started this podcast because I heard another podcast say they used Anchor. And I'm like, oh, really? I can just get this app and make a podcast. And I can start monetizing no without, you know, it doesn't matter how much of an audience I have. Um, and so I got Anchor. I got the app. And I started this podcast. And my philosophy, if you haven't learned it in the first nine seasons, is... Perfection is the enemy of production, so I don't try to be perfect. Um, I've made some you know, mistakes in my speaking here, even, and I've said, um, a lot. <laughs> I let that happen. I do try to fix some errors when I'm reading a chapter, and I do that in the editing tool that they have in the app. All right, so the app changed. What changed? Well, the name changed for sure. It is not Anchor anymore. It is Spotify Podcasts or Spotify for Podcasters. The monetization seems to have changed. I was able to reach my first $10 after over a thousand listens with Anchor, but I can't make new ads. That is what's changed, and that's why there's no ad on this episode. I can't do ads. You have to have a certain level of readership or listenership in the last 60 days in order to record an ad. So that's a little disappointing that they've now added a, you know, you have to have one of these two criteria in order to have an ad. And the only ads I put on there so far in the nine seasons was about Anchor itself, which is now not Anchor. <laughs> so those ads are kind of like obsolete. And the other ones were about voting. So vote in your elections. 
even the local ones that are boring. <laughs> Use ballot. I think ballotready.com was one of them. I've used that for my local elections to try and figure out who to vote for. The tools are a little bit harder to get to at first. When I went to record this, I wanted to put my interlude called Provisions. That's one of the options, interludes. There's music, but there's also interludes, which are just brief music pieces. And I wanted to put the provisions at the beginning of the episodes. That's the 12 seconds of music that you hear at the beginning. And I had to hit tools twice and then slide over and I finally found it. So all those same tools are still there. They were just a little clunkier to get with. So what has stayed the same? Well, editing has stayed the same. And all those effects, the interludes and the music and things like that are still there. And I have four of them set as my favorites. I've been using two, one's called the provisions, one's called the telling. Um, they're all still there. My favorites are still there. That hasn't changed. The editing works exactly the same. So editing has stayed the same. The effects are still there. It's just a little getting used to now that it's changed and got to jump through some hoops in order to get the monetization. I am not trying to make a living as a podcaster, so I'm not, not going to worry too much about monetization. It was nice when I hit my $9.80, <laughs> but it's just an added thing. I really just want to get my stories out there to have people listen to them. So that's the housekeeping. Um, talked about Spotify for podcasts. I don't know that I have anything yet to say left to say about the writing of chapter one, except that, gosh, it took a long time to write it. I kept trying and trying and trying, and I even went to classical concerts. Classical concerts that aren't Mozart, because I will pay attention to Mozart like crazy. Classical concerts that aren't Mozart make my brain go. Um, they're like rocket fuel to my brain. And here I have a an envelope from the Kansas City Symphony. And on the back of that envelope, because it's blank on the back, tiny, tiny, tiny little handwriting <laughs> prologue. One of Mad's journal entries near the end. Thank, thankful that one of them would live. Um, so that's the very first words on it. And it, that is the one of the first iterations of how this would start. Obviously, it didn't start exactly that way. It was actually one of the earlier um, journal entries of finding out she has this brain cancer. So, but this was the, the egg <laughs> of it. It took years to hatch. Absolutely years. I finished Alien Us in 2014 and I kept trying to find the beginning. And since I'm a linear writer, if I can't find the beginning, it's really hard to write a story. I've got to find the beginning. And so once I, I lit on it, I knew it was right. And that was 2020. So it took me six years to start writing the sequel to Alien Us that took me 10 years to write. So I can only hope that people who read it back then go back and look where it says at the end, there is a sequel. <laughs> so they can find the sequel. Um, I hope that if you listen to Alien Us through season six, that you're finding this now. You're finding the sequel to it. Because I finished it on May 3rd, 2023, <laughs> and I'm recording this on May 4th, 2023. Technically, it's May 5th because it's now 2 a.m., but <laughs> I am a night owl. So there we are. It um, Once I lit on it and I kind of had an idea where it's going for Hoshi and Malcolm, it all started kind of like falling into place. But I am not a Pan, uh, planner. I am not a pantser. I am somewhere in the middle. And so not everything fell into place. Some things happen in the writing. So I'll be writing in my notebook and that's when something will come to pass and change the whole, you know, not 
change the whole direction of the story, change that aspect of the story. Because the way I write, when I say I write by magic, the magic has already given me the idea for the story. These are the main beats of the story. We know kind of where it's going. We can know kind of where it's going to end. Not exactly, but I know those beats. And so I'm not changing everything about it. But I'll tell you that halfway through, I wasn't sure which way it would go in the end. I'm not going to spoil, so I'm not going to say what that means. But it hit me around chapter 13 or so, which way it was going. So some of these things just come to me in daydreams or I hear a dialogue or I just get an idea, even a question. But I had an idea that Malcolm would have to go back to earth for a heart and the heart would be, well, you can kind of guess, but I'm not going to spoil it. I knew his sister was going to be very sick. And that's where it's got to start. So it's got to start with Madeline in this journal. And then it had to pick up right at the end of Alien Us. They've had this date in the galley. They're having, uh, um, he's having waffles and she's having ice cream. And they have an hour together. And right after that, he has a heart attack. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not unheard of that he would. He ended Alien Us in really bad shape. So, it's very much in the realm of possibility that that could happen. Um, but what happens when he goes to earth and he can't hear Hoshi anymore or she can't hear him? You're going to find that I, uh, in the beginning, we're going to leave Hoshi at some point and not come back to her for quite a while. And that's because in Alien Us, we had the ship then we had them crash land. We had like one more scene or two and then the ship was gone until the end because they crashed a year in the past and so the ship couldn't be around till that year caught up we don't have a time paradox with finding home we have a secret mission that i didn't want to have to try and figure out <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> i was lazy and didn't want to have to figure out what this mission was so we were going to do bookends with hoshi and Somewhere down the way, I decided what that mission was and wrote her back in. So she does come back earlier than I thought, but she comes back and it's actually pretty good. And it was the right decision. So, um, but you're not going to see her for 10 chapters? Maybe. So don't be worrying. You know, if chapter three comes around, you're like, where's Hoshi? Well, she's not going to be there. <laughs> She's going to be off at that, at that mission. And in order to accomplish this, not having to think of it and removing Hoshi, it had to be a mission with all radio silence. They can't let anybody know. They can't call home. They can't do this and that. I had to do that to make that work. Um, but when I did finally decide to write her, you know, I put all that in there. So that adds to her anxiety. <laughs> um but this is a good start. We got Malcolm understanding that he's going to Earth without her. If you didn't catch it, when he was able to speak well there on the Vulcan ship, that was telepathic because he's got a tube going down his throat. He cannot speak verbally. So when he spoke to Hoshi, he wasn't speaking. He was using the tele telepathy. Um... I do try to make that clear in the text, but it's easy because if you read the story along with this podcast, the way I did it with Alinas and the way I do it here is if the person, okay, let's say we're in Malcolm's point of view and he speaks to Hoshi telepathically, it's in italics, not quotes, because he's thinking to her, direct thoughts are in italics. 
what she responds, I have to say whether it's telepathic or allowed because he's hearing it one way or the other. So it's in quotes. So that is how I do telepathy. It does get a little bit different as things go on. And I'll explain that in the chapters when I get there. But it comes back around to this. The point of view character, if that person is using the telepathy, how she can use the telepathy that Malcolm puts out. So if it were her point of view, her thoughts to him are in italics. What she hears from him is in quotes. So that's how the telepathy reads in text when if you're looking at AO3 or fanfiction.net or my site, which I do admit is hard to read because it's a black background with blue text. It's not easy to see. <laughs> but there we are. Uh, okay, <laughs> so um, AO3 is probably the best reading um, environment. So if you're reading along, you can see that uh, those italics and that will clue you into when it's tele telepathic or when it's not. Most of the time, I put it in the tags if it wasn't clear. But not always, because generally, you know, it, it basically I'm a writer of fanfic online. People read the words. The podcast came second. So... My stories are meant to be read with your eyes, so you'll see the italics. And so sometimes I don't put in there that she's, you know, it was said telepathically. And then when I just read it out loud, I'm like, oh, that's not terribly clear. So <laughs> um, I hope that doesn't annoy you too much when it happens. I thought during that last scene with Hoshi and Malcolm in the Vulcan ship, he was worried when he starts to wake up that he might, is he on Enterprise, is he in Jiren? She heard that and through the telepathy. And she tells him telepathically in, uh, Enterprise, not Jiren. So if it's not clear, I hope you can get it with context. Um, with that, I will let you go. Um, if you would like to get in touch with me, feel free. I would love to hear from you. You can contact me through AO3 or fanfiction.net if you are on one of those sites, or you can email me directly. Instead of giving you... Oh, did I mention who wrote this story? This was Philippe. Sorry. Finding Home by Philippe de Lamatrac. So instead of giving you Philippe de Lamatrac's email address and Ina Coriel's email address and, and Gabrielle Lawson's email address, we've just stuck with one to make it easier. And that is in Hildy at gmail.com. So G. Lawson is very common, so couldn't find that. But in Hildy was the name of a character in Pain of Memory. You might remember in Hildy Treitzig. And when you have a made-up alien character name, they're generally not already taken for usernames. So <laughs> that's how I came up with that. Inhildi is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. -E and we're on Gmail. So inhildi at gmail.com. You can no longer tweet me at Inhildi because I left Twitter when Elon Musk took over and made it crazy. I'm on Mastodon. And I'm still at Inhildi on Mastodon. So those are the places you can reach me. Um, I am my full name on Facebook, which is Gabrielle Leanne Lawson Person. Yep, I married a guy whose last name is Person. There's lots of dad jokes for that. But that's how you can find me on Facebook if you'd like to. I am on the um, uh, fan fiction, or, no, it's a fan, what is it? Fan Fiction Writers United um, podcast or group on Facebook. I'm on the AO3 group on Facebook. So you can find me there. There's a Bucky Barnes fanfic one. That's really nice. I like that one. <laughs> um, I will try to uh, read chapter two tomorrow. And I will try to do a chapter a day. Um, 
until we get through it. It is 17 chapters with a short and uh, epilogue. So probably can read the epilogue on the same day as chapter 17. So I estimate 17 episodes of this podcast for season 10, unless I find something else to write. But the good news, or excuse me, to read, the good news is I now have one less whip. Yay! (laughs) I do not advise having more than two. One is great. Two is hard. Four is super hard. Um, So now I'm down to technically three and a series. So it's still four, but one of those is on the back burner till I like finish all the others. So two and a series. So that's a little bit more manageable. So I am reading the story of Momentus, which is 60, 60 chapters as of now. They are short chapters. They are moments. Momentus is the Latin word for moments. And there are 60 of them. I've read 16 tonight. I'm probably going to take me a few days to get through 60. And then I'm going to write a new chapter of that. And then I'm going to turn my mind over to Bucky Barnes. And I'm going to read everything I've got from The Path Not Taken. And I'm going to write a chapter of that. I might go back and reread all of the making of the Winter Soldier and the, well, Pieces to a Puzzle includes three of those stories. Um, Read all of those. See if I can find that next story in that series and write it. I do have ideas for future stories. I just haven't found the moment that starts them, Um, which is not an easy thing. But anyway, I will let you go, and I hope you will stick around for the next 16 episodes to hear the rest of Finding Home by Philippe de la Matraque.